tonight. We are really lucky to have Douglas Goodwin here with us. I know he's been working hard on this talk and I'm really thrilled to have him here. Um, just to give you all a little sense of who Doug is, he maintains a keen watch over the misalignments between systems of information, language, and human perception. These interests have led him into several careers, ranging from engine repair to creative direction and software architecture. In this latter capacity, Goodwin serves as a lead programmer for Metro at Los Angeles County's MTA, and he also teaches on subjects related to information theory at CalArts. He's currently working on a project about the labor involved in the production of color. So please help me welcome Doug. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming out this Tuesday night. Um, thanks to Clock Shop and Julia Meltzer for putting this together. I think it's a really important forum, and I'm very honored to be a part of it. It's really great to be here and to see all of you here. Do I have any colleagues from Metro in the audience? No? You're hiding? Okay. Have you been on the Metro? Yes. Good. Good. Uh, an important thing to be doing. Um, take public transit and, and meet people. It's good. I'm sorry to those of you who are sitting over here if you get a neck ache, but I have put some slides up over here and uh, I'll, I'll read most of what's up there, but some of them are sort of funny. If you hear people laughing, just, just roll with it. It's okay. Um, I hope uh, that you saw this on your way in. I made a little tiny card for you. And one of the things that uh, the promotional materials talked about was that it would offer you files that you might not be able to find somewhere else. Uh, you could bring a USB drive or a computer or whatever you like to, to gather these files. And I, I thought about it a little bit and I was concerned that there might be a long line of people trying to download files to their USBs and then it would sort of break down and no one would have any fun at all and just remember only that from my speech. So um, I put a special URL together uh, that's on this card. Um, you can go there and you'll find files there. Um, what's, what's there? Well, I'll leave that to you. Uh, it will change. Um, there is also a dead drop in this room uh, for those of you who have uh, smartphones, um, if you open it and look for a network called Counter Inaugural, uh, you will say, find the same files there. And those files are only available here tonight. And there's also a chat there if you have something you'd like to say to people you didn't already speak to. Um, you're welcome to do that. And um, it's, it's just for us. It's, it's a network. It's not connected to the Internet. It's only what you make it and what we have made it together. I had a head start on you because I loaded files on it already. Um, but mainly the things you will find there are documents that will help inform you if you want to uh, get into a more offensive posture uh, when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, and things that you may feel uncomfortable downloading uh, on your home network or, or at work. So that's, that's the kind of thing that I put there. Uh, it doesn't teach you how to make an atom bomb or anything like that. Um, although, you know, why not? Um, it's very hard. <laughs> don't, don't try. Um, yeah, but it, it does show you how you might take this offensive posture and, um, you know, mix things up a little bit. So um, card or while you're here. 
Okay. So here we go. This is John Major, and he made a rather memorable uh, campaign slogan in 1990 or so of, uh, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. And this was often uh, delivered with a finger, right, and glasses. Um, and this is, I find this to be a rather attractive kind of idea because it sort of operates on you in this way that's very, uh, unpleasant, uh, it, it uh, forces you to sort of isolate yourself from others, to consider your own uh, culpability uh, and, and your private thoughts, and uh, to hide them. So uh, it's a very interesting uh, stance to take, and it's also incredibly poisonous if you care about free speech. It's kind of like saying, I stole this from Edward Snowden, sort of a good source for me. Um, it, it's like saying that if, you know, you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. If you have nothing to say, then why would you care about free speech? Right? Well, maybe you do have something to say. And maybe you uh, do have something to fear, but not about hiding things. So, okay, we'll start with some questions. Is technology neutral? I'm not gonna answer the questions yet. Is surveillance only for miscreants and wrongdoers? Do you value privacy? Would you trade privacy for convenience, healthcare, or security? We've already made some concessions for convenience, um, and I urge you to consider these sacrifices before you give more. If you're to fight, uh, how would you do it? How will you fight? Um, this is difficult for me to address because there's no clear action that I can give to you to go off and do. Each one of you has a very different tolerance uh, for for the things that are happening in the world now, and you have very specific issues that you need to address and consider. So I can't just say like, okay, well, you know, just download this, get that, fix your computer, buy this product, uh, and you'll be good. I can't do that. And that's part of what makes this talk really hard, is that I can't do that. And um, I have this kind of, I'm, I'm gonna do a balancing act between a very sort of high level approach, a managerial approach, uh, the executive summary, and this very low level thing, which is where the problems are going on, right? So um, I'm gonna stay high level as much as possible to begin with, to kind of introduce the ideas. And if you have something, some burning issue or some question you have about you know, TCP IP packets or, or um, you know, how, how public sector deals with protecting their assets, um, uh, ask me questions later and uh, if you really wanna get into it, we can have a correspondence about that, okay? Okay, so how will you fight? The first step is to evaluate the threats. This is called making a threat assessment. And uh, you can start very simply. You can just ask, answer these questions on a piece of paper, if you like, or in your mind later, whatever. Um, what do you value most? 
What do you really care about? Who are your adversaries? How will they attack? How are you vulnerable? And what can you do about it? Simple, but you know, your adversaries may not be who you think. Um, this uh, image, uh, is, do you, does anyone recognize this? Max Headroom. It's a very special Max Headroom, however. WGN in Chicago was taken over by this particular Max Headroom for about 90 seconds in the 90s, early 1991, I think. And um, nobody knew where it was coming from. And it, no one has ever found out. He, he was on first during the news, and the sportscaster made a joke about it after they fixed it. And then he came back during Doctor Who <laughs> later, like two in the morning. And he was on longer during Doctor Who, and he actually did some funny things. I urge you to read about it. So WGN needed to do a threat assessment, and it, it worked out. So OK, I, I also went down to uh, try to think about a, a sort of common problem that we all have. And I'm going to use this as a way to talk about these issues. So this is a scenario that may affect all of you, may be familiar to you. So you're meeting a friend later to see Laura Poitras' new film. Uh, you stop in a coffee shop because you're a little early. And you wanted to catch up on a few things before you have the meeting. I'm making a few assumptions here that you're interested in Laura Poitras, um, that you drink coffee, um, that you actually stop in places and you're sometimes early to things, which is probably the biggest assumption of all. Um, okay, so let's say you do that. You go to Starbucks or, or your favorite uh, place. It could be the library too, any place that has public Wi-Fi. You log into the network, you snap a picture for Instagram, I would. You pay your water bill, because you remember at the last minute, oh, you're right. Uh, check Facebook, um, and you buy a gift on Amazon, which I'll explain later why you might want to do that. Um, you send an email, you plan the fastest drive to your location, to your destination, and you message your friend that you're on your way. Completely unfamiliar to anyone? Or does that seem like something you may have done or parts of it? Okay. So the friend is not with us. Yes, sorry. Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank no. You. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Your, your friend is waiting for you while you're doing these things and exposing yourself. So let's consider the risks in, in this sort of mundane activity. Um, you log into the Wi-Fi network, and um, the communication between your computer and the internet becomes available to everybody on the Wi-Fi network. Attackers could intercept your communications, and the Wi-Fi host may try to market to you. So we're, we're talking about mostly about the risks that exist on the Wi-Fi network itself. I do talk a little bit about sort of the larger risks of uh, talking to Facebook and Google and this kind of thing, but let's first deal with this much more pressing issue of being on the Wi-Fi network. Okay, so uh, your second thing is to snap a, a picture for Instagram. Um, I, I see some of my Instagram friends in the house, so, so you know, uh, rarely do I take a picture of coffee, but 
I'm not above it. If it's a really weird coffee, I might do that. Um, so uh, simply taking a picture um, has, has done some very interesting things. Um, I, I, this is an actual picture that I took with uh, my phone and I uploaded to Instagram. And then um, Instagram placed a copy in, in my photos on my phone. And then I, I just, I, I used a tool that I use sometimes to investigate images. It looks at the header of the image and it tells me a lot of information about that image, which is being shared with Instagram and is also available to everyone on the Wi-Fi network for a moment, long enough. Uh, the file name, which my phone gave it, uh, the file size, the one it was modified uh, and created. I, there are pages and pages of this. I just took out the most salient details for you. Um, the camera model name, oh, it's a phone, right? Um, software is Instagram, the modified data, yeah. um, f-stop. Yes, uh, phones do have f-stops. Apparently, uh, the ISO, it's low light, what can I say? Um, the uh, create date, the shutter speed value, you know, flash did not fire. And, uh, oh, GPS, latitude and longitude. Oh. So I didn't have to identify where I was in Instagram. Um, my picture did it for me. My phone told my picture, told the picture where it was taken, uh, very precisely, I might add. Um, and this is uh, available in the image itself to anybody. It's, it's not hard to get this. You have to know, like, oh, I want to look at the EXIF header. Okay, EXIF header. Um, but it's, it's not a big deal to find this information. Okay, um, right. Feeling good? A few steps to go here. Um, you want to pay your water bill. Um, okay, so you log into uh, DWP here in Los Angeles and uh, you use your username and password um, and you send that over the network. Um, you may be in trouble here if your utility company does not provide the little lock, if it's not using HTTPS, uh, hypertext protocol secure, um, and there are various ways to, to make sure that that's happening. It's more and more common that sites use it. Google's gonna start not crawling sites that don't use it. So that's, that's like the, the big gorilla saying like, okay, it's time for everybody to do this now. I hope you're ready, because, uh, and everyone will. Um, at the county, I know, uh, the mayor, or the city, you know, city and county, um, the mayor was after us, all of us, to, to provide this service, the secure HTTP. Um, but it was quite difficult uh, for many uh, public entities to do it uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and it could be true that your utility company does not provide this. If they don't, um, your username and password are like, it's kind of like writing them on the back of a postcard is the usual metaphor that's given for this kind of thing. You just floated it out there and people on the Wi-Fi network could easily see it. Um, don't worry too much. if. If it has the lock, it's a different story. But if it doesn't have the lock, you, you know, be, be concerned. Um, I also want to point out that um, engineers in the public sector, um, that the public sector pays about one third less than the private sector for the same job. So the engineers uh, or database uh, people who are, are safekeeping, are keeping your data safe, you know, are, are not being paid as well as those 
who are doing the same job in the private sector. I'll lead you to make your own conclusions about that. Um, if you're worried about it, ask them about PCI data and, and their policies. Um, at, for example, at Metro, uh, I, there's a policy that I can never touch PCI data. I never see your credit card number or your address, and if I collect it, I have to destroy it immediately. And, and I take that very seriously because I, I don't want any part of it, right? I don't want anyone being exposed by, by some work that I'm doing. And I don't have to, and, and that's lucky. Uh, I don't think people, the other agencies all have that uh, privilege, so. Ask about PCI data if you're concerned about it. Payment card industry, PCI. Okay, check Facebook. Um, I think we're all, you know, more or less uh, involved in this. I do it much less than I used to, um, but I still do it. And, and there's something called Facebook Roulette that's just came out recently. If you want to play Facebook Roulette, um, you have a one in six chance of destroying your Facebook account. <laughs> kind of awesome. Um, re recommend that if, if you're feeling brave. Do it every day until something happens. Um, yeah. Um, so it's your, it's your cousin's birthday. Isn't that cool? Oh, you forgot to buy her a gift. Oh, mm. Okay, well, um, how did Facebook know it was your cousin's birthday? Did you tell them? Maybe. I hope not. You could have. Um, anyway, um, Facebook uh, knows your location. Um, Facebook owns Instagram, and they're uh, happy to share information with one another. And, um, and if you, you like the fact that it's your cousin's birthday, that's something you might do. It's not as bad as you think, probably, but something to think about. Um, right, so it, uh, I have a lot more about Facebook here in a second. We'll get there. This is just, just sort of adding up the things, the, the exposures now. Um, Facebook has a very good idea of your gender, your political affiliation, the movies you see, and things that you buy on Amazon. And this is called market segmentation. They also might know which uh, line you ride on Metro. Um, I know that Metro kind of is interested in that. And uh, making sure that, that we market directly to you, like things that you might care about if you live near the gold line. I'll make sure that you have in, you know, information about the gold line uh, or the red line or this kind of thing. So there are many sophisticated tools that could be used to, to uh, give you something you care about, right? And that, that's kind of the, the, the best case scenario, I'd say. Um, but market segmentation is, interest, is, is uh, very powerful, and it's a kind of big Myers-Briggs test, if you want to think of it that way, with, with demographic data attached to it. Um, so uh, again, more, more in a bit about Facebook. Um, but don't worry so much about the likes. I know there's been a lot of talk about how likes are the things that betray you the most on Facebook. It's, it's really more about your friends. Not, not that they betrayed you, but that, that who they are, all of you together, you, you, you make a market and you define yourself by your friends and that's how Facebook knows about you. Buy your cousin a gift on Amazon. I do this all the time. Um, so, you know, I even have gone as far as to buy groceries on Amazon. 
sorry. Um, nothing heavy like cat litter. Never do that. Um, okay, so, so you send your, your username and password to Amazon. That's common. You know, there's some issues with that maybe, but don't worry about it. Their people are paid really well, and it would be extremely bad for them if anything happened to your PCI data. Um, you can worry about that if you want to, but, but there are other things to worry about that are much more pressing. Um, yeah. um, okay, so, so how does Facebook and Instagram know what you're buying on Amazon? You've probably all had this experience where you buy the shoes for your cousin or whoever, yourself, and then you go to Instagram and it's like, whoop, there it is. That's exactly what I just bought or looked at on Amazon, and it's in Facebook, and they're, they're not affiliated. What, what's up? How does that happen? It's, right? Are you, yeah, I'm a little freaked out by that. And normally I'm kind of annoyed by it because I bought them. I don't want to buy them again, right? Done. Here, you, you're screwing it up, right? Anyway, um, that's me. Um, well, hey, you know, um, Amazon keeps track of everything you do. It's all stored on a server. It's not just stored in a little cookie or sort of something that might be thrown away someday, soon. It's all like goes into the lockbox. It's all kept there, and it's uh, very important information for Amazon. Um, they share some of that information with Facebook so that they can show you an ad. Um, this is called retargeting or remarketing, and it's, it's very lucrative, very effective way of marketing to people. It is a little creepy, but it's also it's very, you know, like, oh, it's kind of like driving down the street, and he just had a thought about watching The Simpsons, and there's a billboard for The Simpsons right there. Wow. How did they do that? They're in my head now. It's scary. Um, so uh, some more about that. There's something called a tracker or a beacon or a tracking pixel um, that does the magic. So it's a graphic, which I find interesting. It's an image. It's one by one pixel. Um, so it's not completely invisible. We, we think of it as invisible, but it's really not. And it, um, it just lives on the page. It's embedded there. It seems uh, it, it's benign. It is benign, except that it's calling back to the mothership, right? And it knows it can um, gather information from your cookies, more or less. It's not like it has agency of its own. It's more about your agency, and it sort of gathers what it needs to gather. And you're, you're making requests as you go. You're actually making requests on this pixel. And it's, it's used to gather your profile for you. It, it's, it's gathering your behavior. I guess. Uh, the Metro website has a Facebook pixel on it. Um, and it's being used to, to identify people who, you know, might be riding the gold line, red line, 704 bus, um, and then to, to market directly. Uh, you know, I feel like you know, that's a good thing to do, maybe. I don't know. I do have arguments with uh, John Gordon. I'll out him. Uh, the man who's responsible for uh, social media at, at uh, Metro is a really smart guy and very interested, inter interesting person. But um, you know, he's doing this for the, all the right reasons, I would say. He's not trying to sell you shoes, right? He wants to get cars off the road in Los Angeles, right? Awesome. Um, and we're using Facebook to do that. 
So there is some good potential. I, I don't know. Is it good or bad? I don't know. It's just technology, right? Neutral, right? Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So there, there, there are thousands of these out there. Thousands of these little pixels run by little uh, marketing firms. I worked in an ad agency for a, a year, um, and we we worked on this. We we, we made it better. Uh, this was about three years ago, um, and it it uh, it's everybody loves it. Um, Okay, so um, you're going to snap a picture and attach it to an email because you, you want to personalize the email you're sending to your cousin because you feel a little bad. You forgot her birthday, but, you know, you're like, yeah, you know, awesome birthday. Um, so, um, good, snap a picture. Um, you just exposed your name, your email address, the subject line, the recipient's address, your email provider by sending the email. Email is the least secure communication that you do right now. And that could change. Um, it's gotten a little bit better, but it's just by its very nature, and, and I'll break this down for you if you like. I have a slide later that kind of shows where the exposure happens. It's about the metadata. It's about the, not about the message itself, which can be encrypted, although it probably isn't, um, but it's about you know your name, your email address, your recipient's name, email address, and the subject line, which may say something like happy birthday, or um, here are your tickets for your trip to Oslo, right? If it comes from a travel agent. Um, it's, it's that that cannot be, it cannot be hidden. It's just going out there, flowing around the network. Um, there's an excellent report on hacking, ha sorry, hacking, hacking team, uh, which was a kind of a cyber terrorist Outfit for hire, uh, extremely effective. They, they did things like you know make the camera come on in the laptop. It's you know maybe it's working right now. Watching my presentation, I don't know. Hey hey hey, hacking team. They're 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 not operating anymore. But um, they, they could they figured out how to do that, and then they sold that to anyone who wanted to buy it, highest bidder, and it was uh, it's a good business. Um, they, there, there was a breach of their email that didn't expose the messages, but just the metadata. And uh, a team at uh, ShareLab, which this is a document that's on the thing, it's everywhere, if you want to, anywhere you want to go, it'll be there, um, cracked the whole thing open and figured out who the leader was, um, who, who was traveling, where they were going, what their habits were, who they sent email to, um, just by looking at the email metadata, it's very powerful. And all the software was readily available. This wasn't anything special that they did. Really just nice uh, Sherlock Holmes kind of thing with new technology. Um, okay, so, um, right, we have a little more. Here, here's your selfie. I don't know. Um, th this was an image that was available in the commons. Um, all these images are... are for the taking. Um, and this has a uh, little bit for about Google's policy. So this, this is Google's policy. It's, it's current. Um, they let you know that their automated systems analyze your content, including emails, to provide you personally relevant product features, such as customized search results, tailored advertising, spam and malware detection. This analysis occurs as the content is sent, as it is received, 
and as it is stored. So that's, that's what they're doing. They're, 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 not, they're not fooling around. Um, and that's also how they can give you those great ads in your Gmail if you use the web version. Okay, now, um, snap a picture, attach it to an email, continued. So um, this, is, this is a tool that you can use. It has two names, DriftNet, DriftNet or Etherpeg. And it, it's a kind of um, surveillance system for Wi-Fi networks. And what we're looking at, this is not live, but it was um, from a few years ago. Um, it's showing all the files that are flying around on the Wi-Fi network. And as, as more of them are gathering, it's, they, they kind of build up and make this kind of accretion of images. And I used to use this in my class when I was teaching, in a class in uh, cybernetics at CalArts that I was teaching. And um, it didn't have a good Wi-Fi point in the room. It was kind of too far from the point. So, so I set up my own router, and then I set up this to listen to it. And I would be lecturing, and I sort of often go off on like, oh, you know, this is kind of neat. You should read about this. Um, and then I would have the students would type it into their computers, and the, the lecture would self-illustrate. Right. But really, the best part was it, I would tell them, it's like, okay, here's this thing, and we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna set it up, use the Wi-Fi point, and and we'll do this, uh, you know, surveillance of of what you're looking at. The first thing was like porn, you know. <laughs> Hundred porn images fly up there, and they're like, "Oh, you really are doing it!" Like, "Yeah, I really am." Can you stop that now? Um, uh, yeah, but it actually kind of worked as as a tool for illustrating the lecture, right? And it, it kept me from you know, messing around with the laptop. Um, okay, Google Maps, uh, something I know and love very well. I work with the team, and. Um, they're, they're amazing and they're well healed. They have lots of people working on that product. Um, so you're, you're, you're gonna plan the fastest drive because you've made yourself late. All this, you know, paying utility bill, buying stuff for your cousin, like all this drinking the second latte. You're, you're in trouble now. Now you have to leave, you have to get there as soon as possible because you were early, but not anymore. So um, plan the fastest drive now. Um, okay, so um, Google Maps uh, locates your current position either on your phone or on the, on the laptop, uh, using the Wi-Fi hotspot. And uh, it'll give you the fastest route and uh, calculate that for you and, and give you options. It's, it's an amazing product. Um, you just told Google and everyone on the Wi-Fi network where you are now and where you're going. Because it's all in the clear. It's all being passed around in the URL. So if, if you're worried about that, you, you might just be aware that you're doing that. Um, so message your arrival time to your friend. Now, this, I gave this a green background because this is like the, the best thing you've done all day, security-wise. Uh, used Messenger, Facebook Messenger. Like, Facebook, really? Um, yes, they have the, the most secure messaging app available. Uh, it's written by Whisper Systems. Um, there's another one called Signal that Whisper publishes on their own. Um, that whisper, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my daughter is like, whisper, uh, whisper. Um, yeah, so um, 
there, there, there's a little bit of evilness going on with Facebook because, well, you know, they know you're using it and they know who you're contacting and, well, um, they know how often uh, and they don't let, they don't opt you in for the end-to-end -end encryption, which is the part you really want. You want the end-to-end -end encryption because, you know, if I'm going to uh, message Liz, I'm going to say, uh, hey, you know, I want to have all this encrypted from here to your phone. I don't want it to be, I don't want to be exposed on the Wi-Fi network. I don't want the ISP to know what I'm, I'm saying to Liz. I don't want uh, you know, Facebook to know about it, right? And that's what end-to-end -end encryption will give you. And that's, that's what we really want, end-to-end -end encryption, because that, that will solve a lot of these problems that I'm exposing or talking about on the Wi-Fi network. But, um, you know, you have to opt in. They didn't do that for you automatically. So in case you thought Facebook wasn't evil anymore, no. Um, think twice. Okay. Um, now, I'm going to show you a live map. Um, this is a, it's, it's called a honeypot. It's kind of rude, uh, unfortunate name. Um, for a monitor of, of what's going on on the network. So um, honeypots are designed to attract people who are trying to hack into your network. And you can attach this to any server you want or any machine. Uh, I've attached this to my VPN. Um, which I will explain in a second what that is. Um, but it's, it's my way of accessing the internet. You know, right now this computer is going, it's here, it's on this Wi-Fi, but it's really making a big pipe to my VPN that's up in the Bay Area. And it's, um, it's tracking all the times that someone has tried to break in to my server since I arrived here tonight. And I, I, I don't see it flashing anymore. Maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it finally stopped. I, I could try loading it again. Might break, but um, so we, we just cleared it. Um, it's talking to the back end again. And let's, oh, here we go. Oh yeah, oh yeah, China. Um, and you can see the events down below. Um, ooh, attacks from Los Angeles and from uh, Shenzhen, China. Um, and as the attacks hit, you see them kind of flash. They make little. Uh, you know, attractive red explosions. Um, and um, these are the various kinds of attacks. Like some people are trying to log in. Some people are trying to see if uh, my database is exposed. Others are trying to just monitor what I'm doing. Um, and I, I have another page over here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, if I can. Oh, oh, now I've done it. There we go. So this... Uh, here, uh, all right, so 62,046 attacks in the last 24 hours. Um, and um, 12,541 of those attacks came from an IP address in a country that has not been identified. This is on the same subnet as my VPN. So someone on my VPN is trying to hack me. Someone on the same network, it, yes. It's a number. Um, I, you know, I don't flatter myself, really, to think that they're trying to attack me. But uh, they might be, thanks to tonight. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but me, yeah, I don't think it's personal, honestly. I think it's just people just like have these scanners, and they just like 
knocking on every door, kind of rattling it. Will it open? Will it open? Will it open? Will it open? And it's so cheap and easy to do this that they, they do. Um, some things are, are politically motivated, I imagine. Others are not. They're just script kiddies, we call them. People who know how to download software and like run it and, and cause trouble. Um, it's K-I-D-D-I-E-S, not, not like, like, like that. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, and then you can, you can kind of like, oh, here are the ports. So people are attacking port 80, which is the, the web, the normal web, um, 22, which is a secure shell, terminal window, uh, 443, which is the secure web, HTTPS with a lock on it. They're trying to attack that port. Um, 23, which is uh, like, um, uh, I think it's FTP. Anyone? It's either FTP or Telnet. Um, and uh, uh, 1433, which I think is a Microsoft SQL database port. So the, these ports, um, and this stuff over here, um, this is very nerdy stuff that will put you to sleep in a second, but um, it's kind of the bread and butter of my work. Uh, you know, job security, knowing port numbers. Um, yeah, but also for attackers. Um, like, there are these ports that you can reach. It's like having different doors, like little cubby holes, and you have different things behind them. Lady or the tiger, you know, um, database or the web server, right? That's, that's, uh, that's what that's about. And they're common. We, we, there are like 10,000 ports that are in common use. Okay. Um, th this is open source software. Oh, by the way, you can run this on your own machine and see what, who's trying to break in. It's, it's called the MHN. Okay, this, this is another one. Um, uh, this is LeetSpeak. Um, have you been owned or have you been pawned? Have you been owned? Um, have I been owned? Why, yes, I have been owned. And I want to show this to you because uh, this is So, um, you'll get it. I'll show you. Please, my CalArts address. Oh no, I have been owned. Um, I can show it to you if uh, my, there you go. Okay, so I was, um, I was involved in the Adobe breach. And it explains to me exactly what it was and what was uh, what, what, what my vulnerability was, what happened, what data was was given or sold or found uh, in 2013 in October. If you didn't know this already, 153 million Adobe accounts were exposed and breached, and uh, they contained an internal ID, username, email, the encrypted password. That's that's good. Um, it wasn't in the clear, right? You had to actually crack the password. So that's something. Um, but with the hint in plain text, like, oh, that's bad. Um, the unencrypted, unencrypted hints also disclose much about the passwords, adding further to the risk. Um, so I, actually, my CalArts account is in much better shape than many accounts. I started in this business early enough to get D. Goodwin at everything. Uh-oh, uh, pawned or owned. Um, Dropbox, 
uh, mid-2012, Dropbox suffered a data breach which exposed the stored credentials of tens of millions of their customers. Um, in August 2016, they finally uh, forced password resets for customers they believed may have been at risk. Um, did anyone, do you remember? Where you change your password? Um, 68 million records uh, were traded online uh, it, that included email addresses and salted hashes of passwords. Uh, that's not a delicious meal. A salted hash is uh, uh, an encrypted password. Um, and it, it's, you know, saying like SHA-1 or bcrypt, well, it's like, you know, if you're like you're super nerdy, you'll know that one is a lot better than the other um, or, or less secure than the other. Um, Exploit.in, I don't even know what this is and why I was part of it. I've never ever uh, signed up for anything called Exploit.in. Um, 593 million unique e email addresses um, uh, broadly circulated uh, and used for credential stuffing. Um, this is something that attackers might use uh, in an attempt to use your password that they've already got on other sites in case you use the same password in more than one place, um, which is very naughty, but uh, something I did for a long time. Um, I use LastPass now, or KeePass. I'd recommend that, KeePass or LastPass. Um, so uh, geeked in, again, uh, this is like, really? Okay. Um, uh, they left a MongoDB database, that's bad. Um, so MySpace, uh, yeah, I don't remember having a MySpace account. I certainly never met, put any music on it, but um, I guess I did. Uh, River City Media Spam was it? Yeah, Tumblr, yes. Trillion, ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, instant messaging application Trillion. Okay, so um, go, the, go to this site. These, this guy is, is completely legit and safe. Uh, you aren't exposing any more information by giving him your email address, and he will notify you if there are more data breaches. He sends you an email, uh, or his robot sends you an email, um, and and it's it's great. I I uh, count on this. Um, okay, so have you been owned? Probably. Um, okay, so. We've kind of gone through the, the big things. Now let's, let's think conceptually for a second, if you can handle it. Um, there are kind of three things that you need to pay attention to. Um, current technology, your habits, and governance. Um, briefly, use a VPN, virtual private network. Um, there are services, uh, private internet access is a pretty good one. Um, it's cheaper than most, and if you're going to China, it's, it's good for getting around the, the Great Firewall. Um, it's, it's okay. If you don't want to make your own, then I'd probably recommend that one. It's uh, PIA, Private Internet Access. Um, um, some of my colleagues would say, like, you, you shouldn't do that because, uh, well, you know, maybe it's not the good one anymore. It's, you know, it's kind of always changing. It's one of the better ones, and I've had pretty good luck with it. And has like cute kids on the page and stuff. Yeah. You'll, you'll see. Um, yeah, but that, that's fine. Uh, I'd really recommend doing it yourself, and I included instructions on how to do that on the, on the hard drive. It's not that bad. Actually, it's much easier than it used to be, like a lot easier. Um, yeah. 
uh, Signal or, or Facebook Messenger for chat. Um, that's, that's as good as it gets right now. End-to-end -end encryption, that really would help. Tor browser, so Tor is something, uh, the onion router, it came out of the Navy, came out of the military. It was designed to help the Navy communicate behind enemy lines, and it's actually a really excellent tool. Uh, some people feel that because the military developed it, that it's actually a kind of honeypot for people who may be doing things that or have something to fear, right? Um, but it's not that. It's, it's actually a really good piece of software that, that does its best to break your tracks. It's the onion router is like, it's, it's a metaphor. So it's like an onion, and it creates an onion network where your traffic goes, goes through all these different layers before it pops out and then connects to the place you want to go, and then it hints back all the way through the onion to, to get back to you. Um, you can do everything through Tor, and um, Edward Snowden would recommend that you do that by using a system called Cubes or Tail, ta tail? Tails, Tails, T-A-I-L-S, um, again on the disk. Um, and I actually, I can show you what that looks like if you really want to see it. Um, it's just everything is done, done through Tor in the systems. And there's another one called Kali, K-A-L-I, that's really designed for pen testers, penetration testers, or, or script kitties, or people who are really paranoid. Um, yeah, I would use cubes, Q-U-B-E-S, if you're really worried about anything. It's not the most pleasant operating system experience. It's not gonna be like the lovely OS X, um, yeah, or even Vista, but it's, it's okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I say something about that, yeah. Um, but you can just use Tor browser too, if just to go online with that. It's 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 a great way to to mix it up. Pay your utility bills by mail. Okay, and um, follow what Congress is saying about privacy and encryption. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So so what do I think of WhatsApp? Um, I don't, I don't, can't give you like a technical uh, evaluation of it. I would steer you towards Signal and Messenger because it's really the best. And I, I don't know exactly how it compares and where the vulnerabilities are. I don't know it well enough. Excuse me for my next question. How can we trust Messenger for being the most secure when it's owned by Facebook, which has the most issues with privacy and security? Sure, that's a great question. Um, so how, how do we know we can trust Messenger when it's produced by Facebook? Well, Facebook was really concerned about this issue and that their customers might leave them if they didn't solve it. So um, they hired the best security people, Whisper Systems, to produce it for them. Um, the only evil thing about it is that they don't opt you in for the end-to-end -end encryption. But the technology is really good. They're still gathering metadata. They know when you use it, but they don't know what you're saying. That's, that's excellent. Um, use Signal, though, if you're really worried about that. Can I give you this microphone just because we're recording and we want to? Oh, sure. Okay. Final question. Um, pay utility bills by mail. Uh -huh. um, so what do you think of auto pay where you know, it, hmm. they just take it directly out of your account? Well, from my perspective and the, the context of what we're talking about tonight, it's great. You never touch it. You just once. Don't do it at the coffee shop. Don't set it mm. up there. Right? But um, 
So the main for issue this context is don't do it over a Wi-Fi network. That yeah. Kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, and just you know think think about who, who's keeping your data safe. See if see if you can kind of move away from electronic data as much as possible with um, public utilities and public anything. Okay. Can I slide in one more question? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so you were talking about Wi-Fi and the, the lack of security on Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference between a secured Wi-Fi network, for example, the one I have at home where you have to enter this complicated password versus some random Wi-Fi that you can just log into without any password? Absolutely, yes. Yes. If your secured Wi-Fi at home is set up correctly, you know, you don't have it open to everybody, it's open networks we're concerned about that anybody can get into. Like you may have a guest network, I wouldn't recommend that, right? Because that gives someone a vector to come in and attack your network. Um, just, you know, use, use the encryption that comes with the uh, Wi-Fi. You, you should be okay. Okay, I, I'm gonna soldier on, and I'll, I'll have a Q&A at the end, okay? Um, all right, so um, this book, it's a little tiny book. Um, it fits in, you know, the pocket next to your phone. Um, on Tyranny, Timothy Snyder, um, awesome, great, recommend this. Um, very plain spoken, actionable lessons um, that you can you can take home. Um, sorry, I didn't think of that. Sorry, Skylight. <laughs> um, go to go to Skylight and buy this. Um, it's lovely. It's it's beautifully produced and um, it's it's great. And I, I I really enjoyed reading it. It's beautiful. Um, however, Snyder takes some digs at me that I have to respond to. He was on the stage just a few weeks ago, and I, you know. He, he cuts a long shadow, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, have something to say here. Um, okay, so we're we're conducting our lives through this mediation with with Facebook, with Google. You know, we're, it's part of what we do now. Um, you can air gap yourself. That's air gapping is like when you're not on a network. You unplug, you turn off all the networking. You know, you're very secure when you air gap your computer or yourself, right? But um, we don't do that. I mean, we, you know, and I assume that many of you are here largely because you're concerned about it. You want to know how to deal with it um, because you don't want to air gap yourself. It's part of our lives now. We, we're conducting our personal lives over these devices. And I'm not down on that. I just think we need to deal with it. Um, my, my beef with Snyder is that he's kind of like, well, you know, it's these guys in their basements, you know, their computers, um, they're like, he, he marginalizes, um, people who use the internet. Um, and I, I don't think that that's reasonable stance anymore. Um, so how do you look a virtual person in the eye? How do you do that? We have to figure that out. That's important. Like maybe that'd be lesson 21. Um, so here, I'm gonna offer um, kind of three variations. Uh, what might be extra chapters or sort of uh, additional content for Snyder's book. Um, that deal with these personal and technological concerns. Um, yes, beware, beware corporate and technological monopolies. Um, worry about Facebook and Google and Amazon. Um, it, you know, watch them, careful, right? They're very powerful and you're, you're, you're working for them, 
in some way. You're providing them digital labor for free, right? And that's, you know, I could go off about that, but I won't. But it's, you know, think about that. Be, be mindful. Take responsibility for the face of the internet. You know, Snyder wants us to take responsibility for the face of the world. I would add internet to that. And make, let's make sure we include that because it's, it's a new world where we are in it and um, we need to deal with it. Um, initiate private chat, reply in line, use your real name, follow up. Okay, let me, let me break that down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I will. So, um, so we, we talked about Facebook. Yeah, I, I know, I, I, I was talking too much about it. I, I, I dived right in, yeah. Um, so uh, these technological monopolies, what do I mean by that? Um, they, they, they differ from monopolies that are based on vertical or horizontal consolidation of power uh, in that their exclusivity derives from the production process itself. So with technology, when it's sufficiently advanced, it matches the dangers of a one-party state. Because they get so far ahead and they have so, many, they have so much buy-in, so such a monopoly uh, on our attention and our, the way that we use it, they're defining the way that we use it. Uh, this is a very dangerous position for us. We need to be careful. Uh, fortunately, they really need money from us, right? So it's not a, like a civic exercise. It's like they want our money, right? So. So vote, vote with your dollars, uh, I guess, um, and your attention. And we call this the attention economy, and that's, there's something to that, right? If you don't pay attention to it, they'll go away. They will fail. Um, you control that. And we as a community control that. We can choose not to uh, have end-to-end -end encryption of our messenger anymore. We can choose not to use it, right? Um, so uh, yeah, both Google and Facebook leverage technological monopolies. Um, Google has search, they have email, they have advertising, maps, they make hardware, uh, Android phones. Um, they make a, a browser, Chrome browser, that's also used in Chrome laptops. Um, their, their, their market domination is insane. I mean, they, they just have done very well and they really want to capitalize on it now. They're, they're more interested in that than they were before. Um, they're hiring people to help them sell the products. Um, and so this, this kind of domination and market penetration is keeping the competition away. Now Facebook, um, okay, oh, oh sorry, well, a few more things about Google. Um, so Google's motto is don't be evil. Don't be evil. And, you know, when Eric Schmidt uh, heard this from um, the, the two founders of Google, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, he said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You cannot use that as a motto. And they're like, no, dude, don't be evil. It's simple, and we mean it. Well, um, it, it, it's caught on in culture uh, at Google, even though, um, they, they've been sort of revising the way that they use this. Uh, it, it's a little more evil than it used to be, let's say. Um, yeah, a little evil, a little, a little, little evil. And there's a huge potential for a little more evil. Um, yeah, so they, they kind of depend on this idea of the neutrality of technology. And this, is, this touches on that. Like, if technology is neutral, then you really can 
avoid being evil. Because the, you know, the technology can't be evil, right? It's just about the people. Well, if we don't have evil people working at Google, then the technology's fine. Um, well, I think it's kind of an issue. Um, and I, I encourage you um, to download your full log of activity with Google, which you can do through Google Takeout. Uh, you can get all of your emails, all of the things they've sold to you, all of your chats, all, any, any interaction you've had with Google over, you know, since the beginning uh, is available to you for download. If you have a big enough hard drive, that's going to be your problem. Um, it, it's, it's really something. Um, that, that's a link to the don't be evil. Um, okay, so uh, we're, we're getting there. Uh, Beware corporate and technological monopolies continued. Yes, during the formative years, Facebook's motto was move fast and break things. This is not a joke. I thought it was a joke, but it really, really was true. And this made it like the most exciting place to work in the world for someone like me. It's like, you can go in and you can talk to upper level management and say like, you know, I got this thing I think is really cool. I think it's gonna be really fun. We're gonna like build this, this thing that'll take a picture of somebody and make them look like a cat. They're like, do it, do it, move fast, break things. Um, that's just, this is why Facebook is like stepping into, you know, a river that's never the same twice, right? It's, you feel like it's like, what? You know, it's always some new thing in Facebook. You never know what's, what you're gonna get. It's always something new. Um, this is largely why they encourage this, this kind of fast movement and this, you know, this kind of excitement that comes from that. Um, imagine being able to, to like, you know, make the picture of a cat on the picture uh, for millions of users just because you think it's cool. I mean, that, that's, I want to work there. That's great. Yeah, awesome. Um, so um, our election, our recent election, the sort of reason that we're here, um, demonstrated that, you know, this is kind of a problem, right? And um, like Google, Facebook assumes that technology is neutral. Um, that it can't foment ideology, um, and that the technology cannot do anything by itself, like create filter bubbles, like create a great big mirror, hall of mirrors where you see only your friends and that no one disagrees with you, and that you know there aren't any other opinions that you hear because they're not there to hear. This, this is all part of the Facebook magic. It's all a party, and it's your party all the time. It's very flattering, like, you know, it's, it's kind of lovely and fun. Um, but we saw, there's a kind of downside to this. We, we saw that recently. Um, take responsibility for the face of the internet. Um, so we, we should have expected that Facebook was a little, the world was a little too compliant, right? It seemed too easy, like everyone agreed with me. And, I assume a lot of you are among my you know, distant connections. Um, we all agreed, right? It's kind of great. Um, and it felt really good, but that felt a little weird too. It's kind of not the way the world is. The world isn't full of people who agree with you all the time. And um, we should have known that something was wrong when, when that happened. You know, it's, it's great to be excited about it, but there's something wrong with this. And I, th I think it's as simple as that that we're not hearing dissenting voices inside of Facebook, or not very many. I have one friend, I won't go into it. Um, um, he, he likes to have people yell things at him. 
I think. Like, how could you be so... Um, yeah. Take responsibility. Yeah. So um, it was really easy to sell fake news to people who want to hear it. It's still easy. You can make a lot of money doing this. And there's a really interesting story uh, about someone whose name I'm forgetting at the moment. It's in my notes. Um, who made a lot of money. He was first writing fake news. He was writing some for this side and some for that side. And he found that the fake news he was writing for Trump supporters sold better. He was making you more money. So he just kept doing it. And he, he was making like $10,000 a month in AdSense just from traffic to people coming to, to read fake news about people who are real. Just crazy stories he was making up. People liked it so much they just wanted to check it out. And um, that's, that's this kind of thing. She's, it's just about money for him. He, he's like a, he considers himself an artist. I'm totally serious. Um, so, you know, this, this is about looking people in the eye. Um, it's very easy to hide behind a handle on, online. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Duchamp 1961. Okay, I'll let you figure that out. But um, I, I used the handle for a while, and now um, I, I'm thinking twice about it. I think I want to use my name all the time. And I, I want to I, I be myself online. I think it's the easiest way to solve this problem. So I don't have to create an identity for myself either. I'm not, I don't have time for that anymore. Um, and now I, I'm just going to be myself and try to be as honest as possible and follow up with people. Not that I do a whole lot of this. I, I do it largely for work. That's, maybe that's my problem. But I think this is good advice. Like, be yourself online. Um, and more than that, you're going to deal with some people who are really unpleasant and are not, not playing fair because they don't have to. They, they might type all caps to you and yell at you. They might um, you know, use bad language. They, they might not be, you know, form their sentences in grammatically correct ways. Or they may, you know, who knows what they might do. Um, they may uh, irritate you uh, as much as possible. But um, you know, you got to deal with it. Just if, if you're going to show up, and you, you're going to face that. Um, what is the line? Oh, oh, sorry. Um, just, just write back. You know, make make your conversation part of the thread. You know, don't start a new thread to attack somebody. Right. Just, just you know, join the conversation. Yeah. Um, it would be yourself. Be sincere. Um, it's going to be really hard. This is hard. I, I'm not good at it either. Um, it's very. It, it's. It's much easier to withdraw and to be cynical about what's out there because it's huge and hard. Um, try not to become cynical. Not easy. Um, so we finally got to the point where we might talk about an offensive measure. Um, if you're mad enough, maybe you want to do something. Right? And this is something the clock shop encouraged me to include. Um, that's on the record now. That's good. Um, so what are offensive gestures? Well, you know, speak honestly. You don't normally think of that as being offensive, but um, I think that's why we don't do it sometimes. Write to Congress, okay, yeah. Organize meetings if you feel inclined. Um, take to the streets. Imagine a lot of you have been doing that this year, which is amazing and this felt really good. Um, learn to code. That's a harder one. My daughter's doing that. Um, and 
make fake news unprofitable. Figure that out. I don't know how to do that. But if we can do that, then no one's going to write fake news anymore. There's enough money in it, they won't do it. Um, here, okay, so um, here's the problem with email. Uh, and here's a little bit on how to solve it. Um, I make drawings like this for my profession. So end-to-end um, -end email encryption. So like the example I gave with Liz earlier, it's possible to have something like this in email too, but only for the message. The metadata is required by the system. There's no way to avoid it. But um, it's possible to say like, hey, Lex, uh, thanks for the note. Hope to see you there. Hit the encrypt button, and then it becomes this. His message is now, it looks like some kind of nonsense poem or concrete poetry or something. And it contains this weird thing. Begin PGP public key block, end key block. Good. It looks like it's encrypted. Send. Because there's this lovely drawing of a cloud. And um, it, uh, it arrives in Lex Luthor's email box from Douglas Goodwin. It's like, what is that? Oh, decrypt. Dear Lex, thanks for the note. Hope to see you there. Um, Google cannot read that message. Or your, your ISP can't read it. Um, even people on the Wi-Fi network cannot read your message. They can see that I wrote to Lex Luthor. Um, they know Lex Luthor's email address now, which is kind of cool. He's at Yahoo, I think. Um, yeah, so... Um, so this is kind of cool, and this has been available for, for as long as email's been around, but they haven't given it to us. Yeah? Ah, uh, he should encrypt. Thank you. Lex is uh, not on his game. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Outlook is now offering this uh, encryption. This may be dependent on your your uh, ISP or whoever's managing your Outlook server. Um, but I, I've read that that's available in Outlook now. I, I haven't seen it, actually. The Metro uh, email does not have this yet. Um, I used it um, decades ago when my dad traveled to Russia uh, and I got him followed around. And he, he asked, you know, these guys are just like, hey, yeah, yeah, we're following you around, sure. Um, so um, that's your network, and thank you. I don't know where we are, but I, I can take questions. Yeah. Let me hand you this mic. Um, well, I'm a primitive, and I just have Safari. So are you telling me if I go into the internet on Tor, what was that, T-O-R? Yeah, Tor browser, yep. It'll be just like going with well, Safari, only better? <laughs> Not better. You're going to be missing all of your cookies. You're, you're going to miss, like, uh, when you go to Facebook, it's, it puts your name in, your username for you. Um, you're going to miss, like, a certain customizations you're, you're used to, like Metro won't know where you live anymore. Um, it, you'll have those kinds of problems. Right, so it's going to be inconvenient if you want to do it that way, um, because it destroys all records uh, of your 
trip. So, so the browser itself often is a kind of repository of information about everywhere you've gone on the internet. And it's cookies are the thing, and there's been a lot of discussion about cookies. They sound cute, you know. You think you think of Sesame Street, you know, it's sort of nice uh, name for them, um, and they're not evil. They're just little tiny text files that contain you know strings of data about you know where you went and maybe encryption uh, encrypted. Um, information that you don't have access to often. But they're, you know, they're, it's about the shoes you bought and, and, the, and your friends you have on Facebook. Um, it will destroy all those cookies. They just, they can't gather in the Tor browser. Yeah. Tor, yeah. So you, you've, yeah. This is slightly off topic with privacy, but because you're in the room and I don't get access, to you often, I'm going to ask, now that the FCC is under a new chairman, Ajit Pai, yeah. who seems to want to systematically unravel every step forward that I think we took under the Obama administration, what are you particularly looking for in policy development and technology expansion in this new Wild West environment that we should be looking for? That's a great question. I, I'm kind of hoping he'll fall down and hurt himself, actually. Um, I, you know, Ajit Pai came from Verizon. He's an attorney. And he, he puts on this act like he's, it's not a country doctor act exactly, but it's something like that. He, he gives you the impression that he's, he's just kind of doing just his job, right? Just doing my job. And he, um, he is clearly highly motivated, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And he has that great big mug. Right? Have you seen the John Oliver? Yeah. So anyway, um, John has a bigger mug. Um, I, th I'm really worried about that. Uh, I'm sorry I don't have a better course of action except to, to let everyone know in, in government that you're concerned about it. Um, I, I, and it's a it's a conflict of interest issue. I think uh, he'll protect Verizon and the ISPs, and they they really want to change their status with the FCC so that they can do you know, what they were doing before. Um, and that's, you know, um, please let them know that's not okay with you. Yep. I have a question about that. Okay, okay. and th then you. I'm, so, okay. I'm sure this is impossibly naive, but like why is the government into that? Like, like why, what, why is it in their interest to support those ISPs and Verizon as opposed to like uh -huh. the public life or whatever? Um, they'll write a big check. And um, Thank the you. other thing, yeah, I mean, I th I, I th you know, that's kind of the crass answer, but, but this, is, this is really interesting. There's sort of, there's no concentration of ideology happening now. It's more about, hey, I'm in power. What do you, what do you want? What do you want? Let's, let's, let's all work together. Let's, let's have a big club. Um, you know, whoever wants to come to the table is welcome. Um, although the CEO of Twitter was not invited to, to Trump's White House. Which is very confusing, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I think it comes down to money. Oh, okay. So he, he declined. Okay, I, I'm not sure. I'm gonna go to him. See, and then back around. Yeah. Some quick constructive suggestions about how to how to go about that. How, how would you go about learning to code? Uh, you know, I learned to code because I was running a theater in Portland, Oregon, and I was starving. 
and I thought it was a way out. Uh, that was the 80s. Um, um, I think it, it's, it's important to understand, if you learn to code, you kind of understand that it has its own aesthetic, it has its own form, and um, you, you kind of understand these issues in a way that you would not otherwise. And you don't have to learn a lot about coding. I think you kind of just have to learn that people who do this for a living don't consider technology to be neutral, and that um, you, you kind of see how it works, and you, you can follow the arguments. So, so yeah, I'd recommend that. Um, learn Python. Uh, do it online. Uh, Google uses Python for everything, and it'll put you in good stead. And it's not that hard as, it, as these things go. Hi, so um, I'm really interested in how people can gain on autonomy when using like online platforms, and I feel like internet security is kind of one of those ways that we could push, a push against the platforms that we're kind of forced to use, because there's not, like for instance, like I have Signal, but like none of my friends are on it, <laughs> so, uh -huh. you know. Um, so I was just curious, like what are your, um, what do you think about people maintaining that kind of like um, individuality and resistance from corporations like on the internet? Like how, apart from just encrypting everything, how do you think people can really push back? Wow. Um, well, you know, voting with your dollars is good. I, I'm sorry it's coming down to that a lot, but that's, that's one answer. Um, being yourself, I think is also interesting. Like don't buy into the way that like the, the kind of Myers-Briggs uh, profiling that's going on with Facebook. Um, you know, no, no disrespect meant there, but um, don't, don't let them put you in that box or those boxes. Um, be unpredictable. Like there's a great artist project where somebody liked everything they saw on Facebook and it caused Facebook major heartburn, like it broke things. Um, do that, I don't know, that, that sounds fun. Um, yeah, uh, be disruptive. I think it's fine. Um, and make that part of your persona. Okay, I'm gonna go to you first, you've been very patient. All right. Um, hi, thanks so much for that talk. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, I'm glad you brought this up again about um, kind of being yourself. Um, I think that something that's sort of exciting about the internet is that that quality of being anonymous and it allows for mm -hmm. some pretty interesting kinds of performance. Yeah. And, and I mean, like when it comes to this like honest performance of oneself, I mean, like so many questions. But, yeah. um, but I guess I wonder if something wouldn't become lost in, in that like sort of declaration of like, be yourself, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. it's already like such a difficult Task, uh -huh. right? Uh, yeah, it, within I know the so, the world. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, I mean, maybe part of being yourself is is using this kind of slippery world and creating a persona from that. That's interesting, um, and you can do things like that in the world. You know, that's not so far from the world. Um, I think being yourself can include that kind of activity. It's not all about like, like uh, being a, a public representative or, you know, like, like, you know, having a name tag on and like, you know, being that person. Um, you can certainly, it should have the range that we have in life, right? We should be able to find that and, 
and be that person. not really a question. I also worked at advertising for 30 years, uh -huh. and I just want to warn everybody, what yeah. I see is beware of the convenience. They give you convenience to get you, and beware generating content. Your Facebook page is what they sell. Your friends are what you're selling. They come to look. They get your friends' eyeballs. You are creating their money for them. It's, it's, I don't have an answer for you. But it's just be aware of how it works out there, you know? And be aware of the content you create for somebody else. What are you getting? They're getting billions, you know? Billions. And you're making it for them. Thank you. Can you talk, sorry, can you talk a little bit more about the PGP, GPGs, and sure. where, like, where we should look into yeah. that? Um, sure. So this is about encrypting emails or, or variety of things. Uh, there's something called PGP, um, pretty good privacy, not a great name. Uh, the acronym is kind of better. Um, that was created by a, a, a team, but Phil Zimmerman is the guy who's usually associated with PGP. He's in Boulder. Uh, he did it in the 80s, I think. Um, and it's, it's pretty good privacy. Yes. Um, it use, uses this approach to this public key um, privacy where you can have a public key that exists on a server that identifies you but doesn't encrypt your messages for you but is, allows people to send you messages and allows you to encrypt messages to them. Um, it's been an effective way to encrypt messages uh, without like giving a long lecture about what's going on with it. Um, I would say that it works pretty well. And it's been taken over by the GNU project. Um, so it's now called GPG, GNU Public. I forgot what that stands for. Um, GNU is a, it's another very strange thing. GNU is, uh, GNU is not Unix. GNU is not Unix. That's what that stands for, GNU. Um, it's Richard Stallman's project where he went and he was very upset that all of his friends were making lots of money working for the government and creating software for them that they were not sharing with anybody else. And he, he would go home after hearing them, his friends talk about the stuff at the bar and rewrite their software for them and release it to the world. Um, so he, he did the same with a pretty good privacy. But anyway, um, it's inconvenient, it's clumsy, uh, it's fairly well integrated with your email programs now if you want to use it. Um, and you need to tell your friends that you're using it and get their keys. But yeah, if, if you can do all those things, it's good. And it's a great way to encrypt messages. I think we're just going to do one more question. I, th I, think, I think what I discovered from uh, uh, all of this stuff is actually just paying for services really helps. Yeah. So like paying for email, yeah. um, like uh, I, I use like sync.com instead of Dropbox, which has like zero knowledge encryption and all that stuff. Uh -huh. um, when you actually kind of, uh, uh, you know, talking about like, uh, um, uh, I guess like you know, Google and Facebook and, and, and all that stuff kind of using, using you for various things, um, that when you're not paying for things, you're paying for it somehow. Yeah, and sure. I think with, yeah. um, 
I mean, like email, I use ProtonMail instead of, yeah. um, cool. uh, you know, like Gmail. I actually used Gmail for years. Yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, with that, it's like a fairly, I think it's based off of PGP, but it's fairly simple and intuitive. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think like convincing other people to kind of use that stuff becomes a lot easier when it's like the ease of use is, 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 is better. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think overall, I think you know, after like Dropbox, you know, having the you know sixty-eight million accounts, you know, yeah. disappear, that having that encrypted means that even if it does get penetrated, it's like all they get is a bunch of digits you right. know, that they can't really do anything with. Yeah, so yeah. I'll throw that out there. Um, LavaBit is back too. Um, the uh, email that that uh, Snowden used, um, and ProtonMail is excellent, and this this. Um, yeah, so without getting into the PGP business, I, sorry I went down that road, that's very it's complicated. Um, you, you might just use a provider that gives it to you for free, like um, ProtonMail does that, right? Um, and LavaBit is back, and Zimmerman, Phil Zimmerman is working uh, with LavaBit now, so that's, that's worth looking into. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll hang out. Oh, sorry. Um, Right, so uh, Skylight has uh, very graciously brought some books uh, that I recommended that you have a look at. There's the uh, Filter Bubble um, that, uh, thank you. Um, and I don't know how to say Eli's last name, but is he Pariser or Parisier? I'm not sure. Um, but he, he developed this concept of the Filter Bubble. Uh, he writes about it very uh, plainly and in a way that everyone can understand. Um, it's a great way to, to kind of catch up on this issue, if you want to do that. Um, Alexander Galloway's book, The Exploit, uh, talks about any, all kinds of exploits, a kind of uh, guide to exploits uh, historically and uh, also philosophically, and is uh, another good read, and he's a great guy. Um, the last book is from Glenn Greenwald. Um, this is all about his experience of uh, meeting Edward Snowden. If you haven't seen Laura's film, then um, this is kind of the other side. Um, it, it's, you know, his writing is very consistent and it's exactly what you'd expect and it's thrilling. It's a great read. 